Welcome to The Real Deal, where God, His purposes, and His people are celebrated. I'm Rachel Inouye, bringing you encouragement through real life, people, and their stories. It's The Real Deal. Hey, let's get started. I'm so excited to be here with Jill, and it's different because we've (laughs) talked about getting together again and having time on your patio or just being here to do like a podcast or working together on anything or something, collaborating. And then now, in a good way, I'm here as an unexpected appointment, yeah, right, so to speak. Tell them why you're here. So, <laughs> so I am seated across from the lovely and very beautiful legged <laughs> Jeff Frisco. But your leg is in kind of like a splint cast type thing, and you broke your patella. Yes. You broke your kneecap yep. recently. Very recently. Very recently. <laughs> so you're moving around, and you're told to move around, yes. and I'm grateful. Uh, but we decided, since we're sitting and chatting, that we could actually... Jill, for me, it's selfish, maybe, but for me, I know I come away with time with you, time with Stuart, and I'm the richer. And then it's kind of like if you go to a great event, and you wish that somebody were with you that could have shared it, I have that feeling, and I'm like, oh... When she was telling me this or when mm. she explained about that. And so that's why I would like to just record today because then I get to share. Yeah. And then I'm not just richer. Other people are too. Well, I have nothing else to do because <laughs> I can't move my leg. <laughs> you, are, you are kind of in time out, so to speak. I, I am in time out, but so many nice people are visiting mm. me. I thought I'd better do something useful. <laughs> no, this is really, really great. So I did want to ask you... Um, just a couple of questions that came up just in our general talking. Yes. And one of them was that you spent time, uh, well, I want you to tell a little bit about spending time in the hospital and having, there was nothing really wrong with you, but that was a God appointment. And the other one was just moments ago when we were talking and you said that you found out that teens were kind of some of the people that you gravitated toward. And mm. there was an age range of people, and somebody said to you, like, kind of pick your people. Find your thing. age. Find your age. So why don't you start with the age one, and then we'll go to the other one. How did that happen again? Um, what happened? Where, where you were, find your age. What was the, oh. Who was the comment, and how did that work? Okay. Well, I'm British. I hope you can still hear some of that yes. after 20 years in America. Um, and... I was privileged to go to Cambridge. Um, I didn't deserve to, but I went to what we call a posh school. Yes. And if you were very well cared for, uh, which I was with my uh, family, they could afford to send me to somewhere like that. And so uh, I went to Cambridge and um, decided that I wanted to be a teacher and so that's, I was not a believer. I had spent uh, the first four, I think, the Second World War was dropping bombs on us. We lived in Liverpool, so every night we would run down our garden path to the shelter that my dad had dug. If you had any land, there were we weren't prepared for this war, Second World War. Uh, and before he went off to fight, he he had a, a beautiful home with a tennis court, so he had land to do, and he dug us a shelter. Mm. And uh, every night we were bombed because it was Liverpool and they were trying to bomb the 
things in the, uh, the, the ships we were building to fight them and all of that. And so we would run down our tennis court and into the shelter that my dad had made for us. I had a sister, three years older than me, and my mom. And for about a month when the bombs were dropping on us, the the warning would come, uh, just a siren. Mm. And after a bit, we didn't bother waiting for the siren. As it was getting dark, which is when they came, we got ourselves into the shelter because it was every night. And they were trying to get the ships that we were building frantically to go and fight with. And that was just within eyesight of the end of our garden. So we were showered with bombs as well. I had a sister three years older than me and my mom, three of us down there, shivering and waiting for the siren to go to warn us that the airplanes were coming. We could hear them come. And when they let a bomb out... It made the most incredible noise as it fell. It was a whine. Oh, okay. And as far up as they were, you could hear it. That's how loud it was. Mm -hmm. And it was like that all the way down, Down. just, yeah, Mm -hmm. and then bang. Mm. And that went on for four hours. And we were in the dark. Yeah. Underneath. Yeah. Couldn't see it. If we could have seen it, it would have helped. All we could do was hear hear it. And uh, my sister's three years older than me and my mom. And so in the end, we would just go and get settled before dark because... Because you knew we it was going to be nightly? It was going to be nightly. Okay. And it was, as you can imagine, hearing it come, but not being able to see, funnily enough, mm-hmm. was worse. Mm-hmm. Because at least you could wait, you know... And uh, one one day I just lost it and I started to scream and scream as it was let loose and my sister and my mum got hold of me and we were all shaking but they were trying to stop me screaming. It's all right, darling, it's all right, darling. It isn't all right, it's going to hit us. Mm-hmm. And those nightmares, guys, I'm in my 80s, I still have mm-hmm. to this day. Every twice a year or three times now, I am back in the shelter, just going through it. One night, I'm only little, six, seven. And I went to uh, an English church. If it was Anglican, we said prayers every day. We said the Apostles' Creed, which is pretty good, actually, gospel. And uh, the headmaster, my head, my headmistress, was not a believer. In fact, she was an atheist, which was very strange to have have that as as the headmistress in a Anglican church. Is she leading this Apostles' Creed, or everybody's saying it just together? She, she would lead it, but this was the thing. And I was only six. She would say things like, "Now we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together," and you know. Uh, You don't need to believe it all. Wow. But this is what we do in an Anglican thing. I was six, but I thought, that's funny. 
what do you mean we don't believe it all? But I would say it as well. Yeah. And um, so and when I was getting bombed, I thought, I have to say a prayer, I have to say a prayer, I have to say a prayer. And the only prayer I knew was the Apostles' Creed. And so I would start, we believe in, you know, in, yeah. in God the, the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost. And, yeah. and, and, and if you read it yourself, the gospel's in there. Yeah. And so I would be, and one day I just lost it though and I started screaming and they were trying to stop me and we're all hugging and I could hear the bombs coming. And... Uh, I prayed again, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, and God didn't stop it. And I thought, who are you, God? Mm. To let my mom and my sister and me, and my doubting was born. In the morning, I would scramble up and see where the bombs had come. Three down, three houses down in the street from me, one hit and all that happened to ours were all the windows were shattered. And I scrambled out in the morning and looked at the house. Was it still standing? And it was still standing, the one up the road. I couldn't see it. It had gone. And I looked up at heaven, six years of age, and said, Who are you? You said, Ask me. And I'd say, yes. I asked you. And I can't remember the little girl's name up there. And her house was hit. And my doubting began. Who is he? I didn't doubt he was there, but Mm. was he saying, ha ha? And so doubt and fear, I didn't have anyone to pray to anymore because he was just playing with me. Even though I was that young. That came in. It, it started in my mind. And so with that, the war finally ended. We didn't get hit. One three up and one six the other way did, and just demolished. But they had dug a place to hide. They weren't killed. And so... I went to my prayers, back to my prayers at at ch- church, at, at school. And can you imagine how difficult it was for me to hear her say things like, now we're going to say the Apostles' Creed, and we just need to do that. Yeah. And so doubt on doubt began, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I grew up like that. Then another very dramatic thing happened. The concentration camps were discovered at the end of the war. And one man in one of the German concentration camps um, survived. He was an artist. He would mix mud in the place, find scraps of paper, and draw the atrocities. Mm. And he was literally being lined up. It was his turn to go into the gas chambers and they were liberated by the Americans. That artist, just a year and a half after the war, began in Germany to show those. Wow. And 
two years later came to Britain. My dad had, he had many car showrooms with his cars in them. He emptied one of them and put Shirley and me in there to make cups of tea to everyone that was coming in to look at this yeah. exhibition. So in when I was, I don't know, 11, it was two or three years after the war, all I had to do was to go around and see those pictures. And... Uh, from the homes that were destroyed to the, those, by well, that, the pictures, you mean those things that And by happened? then I'd learned that the Jews were the first to be thrown mm. into it. Mm. The Jews were God's people, I mm. thought. Mm-hmm. What's this? And then I would look at the pictures each day as we're serving tea. And I thought, what sort of a God is he that he didn't rescue the people in the gas chambers and stuff? And so disillusioned with my concept of, of God being good and kind and whatnot, I was frightened of him, mm. fearful for him. When was he going to let me, you know, be hit by a bomb or tortured or something like that? And with that mindset of God, I went to Cambridge. Cambridge, thank God, at the time... Uh, we had to teach the Bible in school then, right the way through. By the time you were 16, I'd been through 10 times with the scripture man. Wow. And I had to take the exams and finish it, and that was just pure Bible. And so I had to learn how to teach it. Yes. And so my first lesson at Cambridge by the teacher that was going to teach me how to teach the Bible. I thought, oh, goodness. I sat there, and this lady said, we're going to start at the Acts of the Apostles. (laughs) And I immediately put my hand up. No, the Gospels. (laughs) Oh. And she said, what's your name? I said, Jill. She said, no, Jill. I'm going to start at the Acts of the Apostles, and I'll tell you why. This book is a book about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he can come into our lives. This is my teacher who's going to teach me how to teach in the English school system. Wow. And she was a Christian. Yes. And I was in shock. We all were. Yes. What? And fortunately, before... The term was out. I was to get saved, converted. But it was, I was fascinated. I thought, yes. I want to hear, I want to hear, yes. you know. And so she was, um, she was an Amish. Oh, okay. Okay. I found out later. Wow. So any, any, Teaching at Cambridge. Teaching at Cambridge. Because she had to teach me the Bible to teach you know, then. But being Amish, she knew what she was doing by starting with Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. (laughs) And the first couple of chapters, read them. Oh, so fabulous. I mean, get down to it. 
So what happened to me is I got sick the second year there and uh, was taken into Addenbrooke's Hospital. Oh, I have to tell you one story before this, do. sorry. No, do. Um, every Christmas, uh, as Christmas week, before we went home for the break, something was going to happen to me that first year that none of us first years were to know because it was a surprise. Okay. And at uh, midnight or one o'clock, I can't remember, of Christmas Eve, we all had a big sister, by the way. It was a women's only then. Okay. okay. From uh, Shortly after that, the guys began to come to our the women's colleges, but for my first two years, it was women only. And the surprise was we all had a big sister to look after us generally. She was going to knock on our door at two in the morning, wake us up, okay. which we were not to know, the surprise. And I was woken up and she said, come on, we're going to sing carols. <laughs> and so we put on our gowns, you know, and we all had long, white, okay, always white gowns. And then when I got out, everyone's coming out of the door, and then the music starts, and we begin to sing carols. Beautiful. And we start and walk up all those Cambridge things for one hour, singing carols. Oh, my gosh, beautiful. And we all had these white garments on. Yeah. And this was a week before I went into hospital. Wow. And um, our little town of Bethlehem was sung over and over again. And actually, if I can't remember all the words, it's the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And so walking in these gorgeous buildings, old buildings, with just candles. We were yeah. all given a candle in our white robes for an hour was my preparation for what was ahead when I went oh. into hospital. It was, he's the God of perfect timing, Amen. the Bible says. Yes. Yes. We were just talking about that earlier today. That's right. Perfect timing. So one of the lines from A, a Little Town for me is, where meek souls will receive, receive him, him still, the dear is. Christ enters in. You've got it. Yeah. I sang it, mm. I don't know, 20 times. Yeah. And I thought, what does it mean, right. the dear Christ enters mm. in? Three days later... I was very sick, taken into hospital, and put next to one of the nurses, top nurses, who was very sick, actually, in the bed next to me. She had just become a Christian in a very wonderful church in England, and had a, <laughs> had a talk on how to bring other people to Jesus. She was the chief nurse in my ward, and she was put next to me. And Got so, it, perfect timing. <laughs> she thought so. She thought, who is this young woman? Goodness me. Anyway, the next day she went in for an operation. So she's had the needle, and she's getting sleepy, and she says to me, don't go anywhere, don't go anywhere. I said, what, what? She said, I've got something to tell you. Mm. I'll tell you when I get out of this place. 
and off she went into her operation. She woke up the next day. Jill, are you, uh, Jill, are you still there? Mm. And I said, yes, she said, oh, good. I said, I'm going to be here a bit. Oh, good. And then attended. Three days later, she was able to explain to me. And she handed me a book. It was the Bible. I said, what's this for? <laughs> she said, you. <laughs> and within a month, she had led me to Christ. Mm. Miracle. Yeah. But timing, think about the timing. Right. Think about the timing. She was sick. I was there. And think about the carols I had sung. And that was the, that was the verse that stuck. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Amen. Sung over and over again right. in candlelight around those. those beautiful white robes. Right, <laughs> right. And I told her about this. And she led me to the Lord through those words. As soon as, as soon as she'd done it, she got to work on me. Now, we're flat on our backs. <laughs> Everyone that comes to your bedside, you tell what we just did. I said, what? Mm. What, are you, what? Mm. what? She said, here's a nurse, tell her. Well, I didn't, of course. <laughs> and she said, oh, I, I should give you another day or two. to understand. I said, please do. Long story short, I was in for six weeks before they figured out what was wrong and could put it right, which was fortunate. And God kept me there long enough, wow. lying next to this new believer, who by then I felt had been to Bible school right, right, right. after six weeks. <laughs> and she had overseen me telling everyone that came, the doctors and everyone, yeah what she told me to. Yeah. In fact, one of them went away and the psychologist came back and said, I hear you're having religious thoughts. Seriously? Yes. To confirm or try to undo? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Jenny's muttering, it's okay, it's okay. Mm. I said, what did he mean? I said, she said, forget it. So, so I was causing a little bit of problem with evangelizing yes. <laughs> the nurses and the doctors <laughs> she said don't stop that at the moment Jill you know telling everybody right yeah so fortunately she was sick enough and I was sick enough to spend uh, six and a half weeks then it was time to go back and she said Next Thursday, bring your first convert to me. It's a visiting day, two visiting days, okay. Tuesday and Thursday. And I said, uh, okay. And she wrote out how I could lead somebody to Jesus mm -hmm. like she had. Very simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I am the sinner you died to save. By your spirit, please come into my life as you promised you would if I asked you. Forgive my sin and live within me for the rest of my life. Amen. That was the prayer she got me to pray. That was the prayer she sent me back 
to Hamilton with and then said, <laughs> next <laughs> Thursday, bring your first convert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. <laughs> so was I it did everything she told me. Yeah, was somebody at school that you knew or? I didn't know her very well. I was okay. on the tennis team yes. for them. I played tennis. And um, it was her. She'd said, well, just look who's around you and, right. you know, talk. And she'd said to me, you keep talking religious, Jill. You, of all people, you used to swear. Mm. <laughs> what happened? So I told her while we were playing tennis <laughs> between. Yes. And I said, come for a cup of tea tonight. So she did. And I got my paper out that she told me to do. And she said, what's that? I said, I have to read this to you. <laughs> and it was the prayer, right? It was the yeah. prayer. Yeah. She said, where'd you get that from? And I said, from the person that prayed it with me. And an hour later, she prayed it with me. Mm. So now I had to take her to Jenny. But I was very proud. <laughs> <laughs> I got it, I got it, I got it. Couldn't wait. So three days later, uh, I took my convert to Jenny. And all she said, believe it or not, was only one. <laughs> I said, you only said one. She said, I won't make that mistake again. This is the girl God sent to me to throw me in at the deep end as soon as I found Jesus. And because I never could go to seminary, which I would need, she was my seminary. Right, right. She ended up a, a missionary nurse, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Jenny. And it's what you've been doing ever since. Ever since. I mean, really, haven't changed or deviated from right. that plan or trajectory. Anybody around you, anybody right. near you yeah. is somebody you share a story with. And, and then to get the teaching from my Hamilton teacher who was teaching me how to study the Bible for three years, I had that wonderful Christian lady because now, by law, I had to teach the Bible. Then, okay. wow, yeah, it was Church of England. Yes. Remember, yes, and Church of England schools had to teach the Bible all the way through and then take the exams. And so I qualified to teach in the public schools and did. Did you have something that you really, really enjoyed teaching of the Bible? Like, did you gravitate to a certain? prophet or book or you know what I mean well like the once Old I got New back Testament. to college mm -hmm. they had a um, intervarsity group there so I had three years of uh, an intervarsity group plus Cambridge on a Saturday night when the top Christians in the world that you would know their names were students there mm. and there would be testimonies every Saturday night uh, what a powerful weekend. Can you imagine training that I had <laughs> yes. with my these people and whatnot? Yes. And maybe that's why I never never needed to go to, to seminary. No. I don't know, but I knew as much as I would. Yeah, by but you four were a learner years. anyway, you know, a learner of all of it. Well, Jenny, Jenny said, you might not find a church that's going to be as good as this, but she said, go by your school because that's all... That was all right. Yeah. Because then I, when I went to start, I, I, had to, I had to teach the Bible. And I chose to do that four years later 
in the slums of uh, Liverpool. Mm. I lived in the castles of Liverpool. And you want to know what... Do other people live there? Do you live with other people if you live in the castles? To be honest, I don't even know. No, it, 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 was, it wasn't a real castle. It was a beautiful um, house that was that old as okay. the castles Got it. that my dad bought. But we always lived in Liverpool, and that was our place that we would go in the summer or sure. whatever. Uh, so anyway, when I chose to take a place to teach, I chose the slums of Liverpool. Bootle, actually. That's where the Beatles came from. It's called Bootle? Wow. The Beatles and me were born in Bootle. And they started at the cavern down my road from the school. Wow. Right. They were 17. They were good kids. Yep. And they started with their beat music. Yep. And it was the only place I chose to teach where it was surrounded with the dives and the drug places and it, it was very poor. Gorgeous Anglican church with all the gorgeous windows broken mm-hmm, mm-hmm, with, mm. they'd throw stones through the windows and that's where I chose to be anyway uh, my parents couldn't understand it they didn't like that I'd chosen a slum church we trained you you could take the top church yeah. you know school in the land and I said no I've been converted this is true conversion I used to if I saw the gangs coming on a pavement, I'd cross the road mm. away from them. Now I would cross the road to them. Mm. So it a was drawing of sorts, you know, like literally was, drawn to them. Well, no, it was my training at Cambridge that turned me and wanting to work with kids in trouble and mm. stuff. I would never have chosen that if I didn't know Jesus. I wouldn't have needed to. I could choose the top private school, anything sure. I wanted. Sure. And the only thing that was a light down there, each night after school I would chase them into these drug dives, find out where they were and try and send them home. And one day I came out and the Salvation Army were on the edge. They, they had just started. Nobody knew who they were. Wow but they had uniforms on. Mm. And here's this lady up there gathering a crowd, keeping a crowd, having a lot of arguments, having questions. I didn't... And it had only just begun a year before the Salvation Army. And they started in the slums. And they all had uniforms yeah. on. Yeah. And I just... I'd been out on my own finding out where my kids were for a week, that was all. And then here's this gorgeous girl up there, and I thought, what she, who is she? Because it had only started right. a year ago in England. Right. And then I thought, good heavens, she's a Christian. And so I joined the crowd, and they began to heckle her, mm. and she began to turn it on them and have them get got them laughing and whatnot. So I waited at the end and watched her, and the next night they came into the pub I went into. And so I, and they were doing their thing in the pub. Interesting. Getting permission to talk to the people in it, mm. which they did. 
the guy said, all right, if you want to come in, you can come in. And then I watched what they sat down and started to talk. And so I stopped one of them and I said, who are you guys? I love this. She said, we're called the Salvation Army. We just started last year. And she said, who are you? She said, we, we noticed that we've noticed you in these places. What are you doing in here? I said, I'm a teacher down the road. She said, you need to come to us t- tomorrow. We want to find out. And I said, I want to come to you. I want to do what you do. Mm-hmm. Will you train me? She said, sure. <laughs> and so I met the Saliami. Let's pause a second. If you are enjoying The Real Deal with Rachel Inouye, subscribe, rate, and review it. I appreciate your support. All right, back to The Real Deal. That's why everywhere I've ever traveled the world, I've always gone to the Salvation Army to speak. Really? Yes, always. Always. I didn't know that background. yeah. Yeah. And in fact, Stuart and I have done the Salvation Army big things almost as much as we've done anything else in yeah. different countries. Yeah. And I've thanked them. Yeah. I've said I wouldn't have probably continued because I wasn't doing it very well <laughs> unless you come into my life. Well, it's part of your DNA, uh, it is. Christian-wise, you know, like it's part it's of your heritage. Been. Yeah, that's yeah. way, way interesting. And then the other people that God used in those days was the headmaster who was an atheist of okay. my school. And the the big church with all its windows, beautiful windows, broken, was Catholic. And the Catholic youth man was there, out on the streets with me, and we got together. So there was a Salvation Army lady showing us what to do, and this young man learning. And he was the one, a year later, that said to me, I've heard, we, by then we got... 11 converts from my class. And he said, I've heard about a wonderful place where the man was in the war and worked among the, uh, the worst people mm. out there in the army. And uh, he's got a castle in the Lake District now. And he, he said... What could a man like that that worked with with the worst in the war not help us with our lot? <laughs> right. So I've made inquiries. It's called Cape and Ray Hall. Okay. And he said our church will pay for a busload of 10 of our best. And they have a teenage time. I've booked it. So let's take the best up to this place. Okay. If they know how to deal with Nazis... They'll know how to deal with ours. <laughs> I've got that written in my diary. That's so good. Gone back to it. And so that's what we did. And uh, two years later, when I got some converts in my, in, in my place, and the headmaster had come and said to me one day, Miss, Miss Ryder, what did you do to Trevor? <laughs> There's a change this in Trevor. Is, this is my atheist man. Yeah. And I said, we found a place that could help us know mm. how to help kids like this. It's called Cape and Ray Hall. 
And he said, I told all of you teachers, anything you find that works, I'll help you. Okay. What is it? I said, it's, uh, I haven't been yet. We're, we've got 10 of our best we're taking up. Yeah. He said, are you taking Trevor? I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a miracle. That's up in the Lake District, guys. Yeah. I was down in the boondocks wow. in Liverpool. So the young um, pastor from the Catholic Church and I took the best of our ten up to this place. And I tried my best before I let them out. I said, you have to stay near me. I don't know what we're going to find when the door opens. Okay. Well, what we got to find... (laughs) Was it was break time and it was coffee t- uh, okay. tea time, okay. which was always the break in the things. There were um, probably eight hundred teenagers there, all right, in the castle, and Mrs. Thomas, mm. Major Thomas's yes. leader's wife, was pouring tea, and and that's where everyone was, and my kids opened the door, ran in, and disappeared. Oh. Just like assimilated with all the others. Well, I didn't know where they'd gone. Right, okay. Because I was last. Yeah. The last one. And I thought, oh my word. Because everyone was moving and then I saw them all in this place and I thought, well, maybe they've gone in there. So he and my partner said, oh my word, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know, but this is only going to go on and then maybe they'll all go back and we'll find ours. So I said, come on. So we went into the tea room. (laughs) And I met Mrs. Thomas, and she gave me a cup of tea, and she said, hello, who are you? And I said, well, we've brought some young people. She said, oh, that's wonderful. Uh, And Miss Ryder? Miss Ryder. And suddenly I heard Major's voice. Who? Who? Hmm has brought some young people in here just now. Uh, And one of them is misbehaving. Oh, no. (laughs) You're picturing it to be Trevor, I suppose. Oh, it was Trevor. (laughs) And so I'm just standing there with my cup of tea in me and my hand. And, um, And so... Nobody answered, so he disappeared again, but then came back. And uh, suddenly Trevor ran by me, <laughs> and I grabbed him. Yeah. And I said, what were you up to? Oh, a major came back in and saw us and said, is this the young man, and you, one of yours? And I said, yes. And he said, um, you, you two come to my office. This is how I met Major. Okay. So I dragged him with me. And on the way, Major said to me, he was climbing the stairs to the tower and dropping things on people's heads. Oh, no. In the courtyard. And Trevor said, well, I said, Trevor. So that's how Major met me. Right. (laughs) But he loved it. He'd been dealing with Nazis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. If anyone else would have kicked us all out. Right. But he wanted to know. So with Trevor sitting there, I told him the story. And he was so delighted. Mm. He said, Jill, 
This is such a story. You mean from this school down in this town? Okay. And Trevor's sitting there, stone-faced. He said, so that's who you are? And he said, yeah. And he said, he laughed. He said, yeah, we, I know how to deal with you. I dealt with... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After the war. In fact, he got a medal. It's in the Tower of London. Mm, really? For, for what he did, yeah. So that's how I met Cape and Ray, and that's how I started my ministry with this wonderful young Catholic helper. Right. And that's, that's later that Stuart saw me there and walked up to me and said, are you the young lady with those kids from... Oh, okay. So we met in that context. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I met him later. So how old were you? And we ended up running the place. Right, you, right, you know, right, right. For eight years. For eight years, I was going to ask you. Yeah. So at that point in time, Major is gone. Yes. And you guys are asked to come in and succeed him or no go with overlap okay go with there was a time and people were offering us castles all over the world okay he called me said i don't know why maybe it's because we've got a castle but uh, one in austria want want us to do this uh stuart and one in switzerland okay we have five castles in europe by the way those were the first two and so get out from that desk i need you to help me okay and Stuart came back in and said, instead of leaving me us here to run it, he's, I'm going to go with him. And I said, how long will you be away? And he said, about two and a half months. And I thought it's going to start and be more than that. And as you know, it was yes. ten, 10 months in the year for mm. four years. Mm-hmm. It ended up because he went to plant it all over with Major. That's why he went. So if someone, I'm familiar because of you guys, but if someone didn't know about Cape and Ray, Mm -hmm. what would be your succinct, this is what it is, this is what it became, how would you describe it to people? Well, I have to tell you the background. After the war, um, the government... The government began just helping teenagers who'd been through it if we still had them in England and stuff like that. Because maybe they'd lost their parents or... They'd lost their parents in the army or something like that. Got it. And Major um, heard that they were asking families to take an ex-Nazi youth into their home thinking we'd all be delighted. Mm. But nobody wanted an ex-Nazi youth because the government wanted to start and bring them over and re-educate them from Nazism. And Major was just finishing in the army and had bought Cape and Ray and uh, heard that they were beginning to bring these young people over and that none of our homes wanted them. And so... Hearing this, he got in touch with the government and said, um, I am starting, I bought a castle for kids that have been in trouble. Mm. And he said, if we will, we will take them if, they, if, 
you know, they're not, they're not going to be invited into many people's home. They, they will be. In fact, we had somebody, you know, yeah. later, but not, not now. Not initially. Mm-hmm. And so they paid, they gave him money to take some of these into the castle. And the first party we had were ex-Nazi youth. Wow. That's how his ministry started. And they could range anywhere from what to what? Age? Yeah. Um, well, probably uh, 13 to 25. Okay. okay. About that, they, they started to bring over mm-hmm. and pay for them to come to the castle because we could never have afforded that. Right. To get them into England, which was wonderful. And so that was the situation when Stuart, who lived near the castle with his two friends, heard that the castle was being turned into something with Nazi youth. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they walked down. They said, let's go and see what's happening. And they walked in on Major, standing in front of the gorgeous walk-in fireplace with ten of these kids. And he said, come in, young man. And invited and them in. Invited them in, and they sat in front of Major and met Cape and Ray and wow. Major. Wow. And because Stuart lived very close, that was his... Uh, he and his friends began to go and help with the teenagers. And so he was there the day that I went up there with... Okay. With Trevor, etc., etc. Okay. Wow. And that's how we met. All the timing of God the t- and being at the right the place timing, at the right time and all those kinds of things, you know? Just... Guys, those of you that are listening, it's it's not about me. It's not about Major Thomas. It's not about the war. It's 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 about uh, it's about a man who took the chance to work with people who've been broken, teenagers that have watched their parents either kill other people deliberately mm. or be killed. Those are the people that came to Cape and Ray. And, uh, and that's what we met. Yes. And when, by the time I went up there, um, Stuart had been working with them, not on staff, obviously. He was a bank inspector. Correct. So more volunteering, and when he had his time, he would go Every do time that. he was home and not traveling, yes. he and his friends... Uh, and also pastors from the whole area had begun to help. Mm. So it was well... Yeah. They had a, a Bible school that they could come to even by the time I met Stuart. Yeah. And so... And, and that was when he saw me with a bunch of these people and walked up and said, Who are you and who are these great kids here? <laughs> so I met him yeah. when I'd taken some of my kids up there another time but it's it's Cape and Ray is known all over the world because what happened is Austria said we need one would you like a castle we got a castle in Austria Switzerland four places wanted it and then it ended up with Asia I can't remember how many Cape and Rays we have now and so when Stuart was traveling you know, before yes. we came to America, yes. he would go to all of those. Okay. 
he had been doing the Australian teaching of Romans. Okay. And the next day he's in hospital. Right, right, right. So... So there's still those connections. This... Oh, you know what I mean? Goodness. There's still those that's, ongoing... That's why he came to our church, because somebody connected with Cape and Ray mm-hmm. uh, was running it. Yes. And he left to do it full-time in one of the countries. And that that's why Stuart was asked to come and take his place. Wow. But the timing, meeting, guys... The meeting big, in a castle. <laughs> the timing of yeah. when you're there with just the students that you yeah. bring. Exactly. And this, the first people that we could reach were ex-Nazi youth. Think about that. Right. And that the government helped to pay to bring right. them. Right. Know. God resources his own plans. And... Um, and then later when I met him there, uh, and the next year we got married, was when Major started to travel and gave Stuart the job of staying and running Cape and Ray. And so uh, we went to Cape and Ray to take his place at Cape and Ray and run Cape and Ray. And we had one baby. Hmm. And he gave up an incredible career. He was the chief inspector of the whole bank of right. England and uh, working with him. And Good we to both, go on this adventure. Right. I'll tell you one funny story which would be lighter for everyone to yeah, hear. Yeah, that's fine. After he'd met me and we began in England to... We don't date in England. We go out. It's a little different. But we'd, I'd only just met him. We started to get invited for me to give my testimony, and Stuart was already working with Campus Crusade okay. in their big things. And so there, there was a place in England that Stuart said, oh, it's so nice, you'll be giving your testimony, and I'll be preaching at, at, at the, uh, the big youth thing. Uh, and we'd only been connected probably six months by then. Okay. Committed to each other, at any rate. And so I thought, oh, this will be the first time we're on a platform together, have fun. And so I'm sitting there. You've probably heard this story. It doesn't do me much good, but anyway. (laughs) And Stuart's down the lane. He's going to do the sermon, and I'm going to give my testimony. Okay. And so... When you're on a platform, everybody watches everything you do. Right. And so uh, the time came for the offering. You must have heard this story. No, but I think you need to tell it. (laughs) So knowing I'm being watched by 500 people, I'm just conscious of it, and and, you know, even how I look and what I'm doing. And... and, um, so I put my hand in my pocket for my money and there isn't anything there. <laughs> so everybody's watching, all of us. You know, you yeah. would. Yeah. And so the guy's nearly up. He was about 16 with the bag. Oh, okay, to bring it around to everybody to contribute. So he's <laughs> past Stuart and two more. And so I tell a lie. You um, put you put your hand in as if as if I've dropped, dropped something in, in there in the pocket, and thinking he'll go on. 
Yeah. He doesn't. <laughs> the guy with the bag? Yes. <laughs> he gets, I say, oh, as if it's dropped on the floor. <laughs> he gets down on his knees to find the money that isn't there. Everyone is watching, including my husband, to be. What is she doing? So I'm, jo- I'm down on the floor looking for my money. Yeah. Sort of. Well, I'm sort but of you know bent double there. that I know isn't. So I say to him, go on, go on. He looks very startled, gets up and goes on. So somehow I sit there with my mind empty. <laughs> totally empty. <laughs> Now I have to give my testimony. I was just going to say, pretty soon you're going to be called on. Oh, it was next. Okay. I had to stand up and give my testimony (laughs) after doing this stupid thing. (laughs) So at the end of this whole thing, I thought I have to find this young man. Yeah. I didn't need it. He was waiting for me with the curtains. Okay. (laughs) So I came and confessed to him. He said... You're crazy. (laughs) He was 15. Then he said, humiliation, can I pray for you? (laughs) I said, please. And behind the curtain, he prayed for me. (laughs) That's a true story. How stupid I am. Hi, darling. Did, Did we wake you up? At that moment, Stuart Briscoe walked in, and so I cut the interview short. I also just wanted to share a poem that Jill Briscoe wrote and read to me that day. I end with this. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here, checked him there, and would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Saviour's eyes? Grief, though he loves me still. He would have me rich, but I stand here poor, stripped of all but his grace, while my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I can't retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed, and I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No, Lord of the life that's left to me, I yield it to thy hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. One day I'll stand before the judgment of my Jesus, and so will you. I don't want to have empty hands, and I don't want to have an uncrowned head. Do you? Wow. Good. Yeah, very good. Okay, what a privilege. You've been listening to The Real Deal with me, Rachel Inouye, helping people celebrate their significance and the genius of God in them. Audio engineering by my husband, Michael Inouye. Thanks, babe. Theme music by Andrew Grace. <laughs>